Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Stephen, Mark, and Gerald. And today we will be talking about everybody's favorite topic, writing documentation. Oh no. So stay tuned. So before we dive into today's topic, I just saw that Teams, Microsoft's chat client, is now going, well, into the non-business domain. So I think it's it's probably going to very soon be replacing Skype, I would say. At least that's my first initial thought when I read that. So how about, how about you guys? So that means we can now finally force Gerald to install Teams on his private machines? Yeah. And we can say it's not for work. It's for whatever Fun. this is. <laughs> well, actually, I think at some point I had a test version and I invited you, my best friend, Stephen, and our other best friend, Ben. Um, and we tried it for two seconds and then never again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, there's, there's going to be a consumer version. And I, it, it had one nice thing. I, I couldn't remember. I can't remember now what it was, but... Uh, uh, yeah, so the Skype, I think that is the obvious thing that they're going to replace. And, you know, if you look at like, um, I think if you look closely at some of the things, they're still using a lot of the Skype um, under the hood. So, you know, it's it's more than likely that that's going to be replaced because else they're going to have to maintain these two things that are doing the, the same thing, basically. Um, yeah, what was the thing? Uh, you could You could set it up for your family, I think in teams and then you could I, I think you could share like uh your location with each other or something like that and um also maybe a shopping list of sorts and there was those kinds of things to make your family management go a little bit um better or something i guess which was you know um i think a kind of refreshing idea because you you, you typically have i think your whatsapp or your telegram or your signal um, and then you can make a group chat uh, with your family maybe and that's that's kind of it um, so, you know, they had a couple of these, these fun things because they probably, you know, just build on top of the, the team's apps or bots or whatever is in there. Um, so it, I don't know, it, it might have some potential. I don't know. Yeah. I also saw that it would be free to video call for 24 hours in groups of like 300 people, which I, mm. I mean, I wouldn't want to be on the phone with yeah, my family just, that much, but just... Just your average three hundred person family yeah, yeah. video for twenty four hours. Yeah, for twenty four hours. hours. <laughs> yeah, which it it will be paid at some point, but obviously with <laughs> pandemics and all that, I guess it's a good business move to make it free for now. Um, and also, obviously, the the whole together mode, which I still cringe at every time I see it. But it there are people no who like it. It's just I wrong. Suppose. It's just wrong. I mean, the teacher sits in the classroom that's that's like the the big problem that i have i mean you know if it were just the student but yeah anyhow yeah i, I digress did, did you also i don't know if you saw this somewhere on the news that there was a senator who was driving his car while in a i don't know some kind of meeting virtual um and he put on this this ai background living room type thing um while they were discussing a bill to punish 
drivers who aren't <laughs> driving. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, I well, see that one. well, I mean, I, it, in Switzerland, it's against the law to be in a video, I think in a call, like having your mobile, I think you can use, you can use the like speaker system in the car, but mm -hmm. it's, you cannot put your phone to your head because it's too distracting. Yeah, I think he, so, he had it in like a, a holder or something on his dashboard and then put on the, the background blurry. And... I think the, the law here is you can't hold it or like, you know... Um, um, fiddle with do, it. Yeah, <laughs> fiddle with it, exactly. Uh, but I think if it's like hands-free-ish, then you can do whatever you want, including calling, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, 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 would, I would doubt that there is a specific law for... Um, video calling because you know it just says hands-free <laughs> calling i think yeah. uh but yeah it's that it's interesting because i think was it france or germany or eu i don't know but they're thinking somewhere about making some kind of law i think to that you can also not um, fiddle with your things in the car which is going to be crazy right then you have to like stop to make a uh, change in your navigation system, for instance, because you you can't actually touch the thing. Hmm. Um, I think they were <laughs> thinking of taking it that far, which is I don't think they're going to make it. Or the or the the voice activated systems have to pick it up really good because those are yeah. still horrible. I don't, I don't see any problems there. Take me home, taking you to Home Depot. I don't something yeah. like that. Like <laughs> like no, I want to go oh, home, man. please. I've sent some strange texts. Well, <laughs> I know, no. but did you do it well talking to it? Oh, well. Yeah, yeah, as well, as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, those, those typically don't quite vibe very well with... But they, they seem to be so great while in your mind and the thoughts of it, but what then yeah. comes out on the other person's phone, sometimes more gibberish than you might have thought well I, it's wasn't it, wasn't that you Stephen? i think it if, if it, it reads it loud loud then it goes like hi gerald slightly smiling emoji unicorn emoji poop emoji yeah um, but when <laughs> you does. try to say poop emoji it just writes out poop emoji it doesn't translate <laughs> it back yeah um, that uh that has been a experience i've had yeah <laughs> one of many so i what i wonder is is maybe somewhere on the internet there is this little nugget of information or documentation, if you want to call it that, that tells you how to correctly speak into your voice-to-text thingamajing. And that lands us, I think, at our main topic for today, which is documentation. Because, I mean, I just said it might exist online. Probably doesn't, because why would we even bother? I mean... <laughs> well, that's the thing. The documentation for my car isn't the actual system in the thing. So I need to touch my car to get in the document. Ah, oh, it's, it's such a mess. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Yeah, no, exactly. I think I have a paper book thing too, but you know, whoever reads those things. You can't read that um, while driving. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I think I've heard some people taking it as far as, uh, you know, if you do not have documentation, then it doesn't exist. I think that's a interesting point to take i mean usually in quite a few projects that i take over there is like near no documentation nearly no documentation and usually it's always like well i'll do it when i get around to it and then two or three weeks later it's like does anyone even care still about this project and then 
six months later, someone, and in the worst case, it's actually even you who originally wrote the project, has to do some changes, and you have got no clue anymore what's going on in this system. I mean, it has happened to me that, uh, yeah, you, I, I literally had no idea anymore how this code works. It took me like two hours to just figure out what for a simple task that I had to do, which took me them five minutes to, to implement. And that's just embarrassing because there was no documentation in place to tell me, oh, you just have to copy this thing here and then do the thing imaging here and then it's done. So yeah, don't do that to kids. Write your documentations. Well, it's especially, you know, very interesting. Um, I noticed it with the, the, the Xamarin Community Toolkit, which is, you know, kind of a project that I've um, been spearheading, as they call it. So, you know, I've I've been trying to get that up and running. And one of the things was also the documentation. And I found out that, I don't know, maybe maybe I've been on the 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 wrong side, air quotes, for too long. I kind of like figure out the APIs by just trying them out in the project. Uh, but a lot of people were asking, where's the documentation? Where's the documentation? We need documentation because, um, you know, actually else it doesn't exist for them. Um, I guess. So, you know, they really needed that documentation, which, you know, is totally valid, which is cool. Um, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong, but it, it's so important ex apparently for the people consuming these kinds of libraries that the documentation is there um, to help them get started and, and piece it all together. So that was kind of like, you know, an eye opener. And also, you know, one of the, I've, I've heard it before, but one of the other people that I've been working on this is, is, you know, that they said, like, if you don't have the documentation, it might as well just don't exist because people can't find it. It's not discoverable. They don't know how to use it. So, you know, then you might as well just not have the code. And um, yeah. Yeah. I think part of that is also like, if, if you're pitching to your boss that you want to include something and the boss asks, is there any documentation like also towards the future to have it if you incorporate it into your product, you want to have something that is at least maintainable to a certain degree. Um, and if you say, well, there is no documentation for this, then that's a pretty bad pitch probably. I think it's not just the uh, documentation that your boss sometimes wants, but I remember, I mean, you can try certain things out. You know, you can say, okay, I'll, you know, I'll invest two hours playing around with the API versus two hours reading through the documentation. And I might get to the same point, but sometimes it's just quite difficult to to even get to that point. I remember uh, doing, in a former show, we talked about Bluetooth Low Energy, and I remember trying to compare two libraries if they were had the same functionality uh, under the hood. And that was like, if you would have a documentation, you could go like, uh, how do I connect to this on how do I do this and that? And then you can quickly read through the samples. And if the documentation isn't there, you just go like, well, I guess it's somehow possible to do with this library because like five steps after this, I see that there are some samples available, how to do that. And so I must somehow end up at that point, but it's, I mean, you then have to find that out on your own. And if you're completely new to a topic, like if you have never done the stuff before, it can be even more confusing because you don't really know which steps you have to undertake, how does the technology below actually want to be used and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I think having documentation at that point is really nice. And I can see why Gerald was buggered so much for 
the documentation parts uh, for the Xarin Community Toolkit because, I mean, it offers a ton of great uh, features. And if you don't know that they are there, I mean, you just have to stumble upon them. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the interesting thing is, though, it's it's a lot of work to write good documentation because you have multiple types. You have like the the very simple readme getting started that you mentioned um, on your repository, probably, and then you have like if I felt look at least like in in the Microsoft ecosystem, then you have like the conceptual docs. So those kind of you know in a book kind of form. Uh, once upon a time, there was a control, and you can do this and this and this with it. Um, and then you have like the API docs, right? So that is like the, the, the very technical. You have these methods, these members, and they can do roughly this in in one line, one sentence. Uh, so you know you have to do all of that if you want to do it right. And like with the conceptual docs, that is like very hard. There's there's dedicated teams for dedicated products. Um, people full time writing those docs, right? And then there's all the it's all open source too. So then there's also the people who contribute to that. So there's a lot going on there. And, you know, if you want to set that up um, initially, there there was a lot of code suddenly in the in the community toolkit. Um, luckily, also, you know, we took over some stuff from Xamarin Forms, um, which has a, 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 I think, still a one-person team writing all the documentation. Um, and he's doing a great job. He's, he's really good. Um, but, you know, so we could steal some pages from them. So those are really good. And then the rest is like, meh. They can be improved. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's one of those things that we try to also push people to do. Uh, but then, you know, they they are more interested in writing code. I can't blame them. Um, they're typically not native English speakers, which is also, you know, um, a, a roadblock. Um, because, you know, they're maybe not confident to do it. Or um, their English, again, this is not wrong, but their English is just not up to a level where the docs will be understandable for other people. Uh, so the quality will not be, you know, something that other people can work with. Um, so there's there's all kinds of things to consider, at least in this like you know big open source um, ecosystem. You know, whenever you're uh, working uh, in the office with you know your team of developers, things might change a little bit. Still, it's it's very important, but you know it's it's a different scale, different scenario. But uh, there's there's lots of things to consider um, for writing docs. Absolutely. And you said it before, I mean, one tries to encourage people to write more documentation or to help with the documentation in open source projects, but it always feels like a bit, and I know it's not the intention, but it often comes along like this, like, oh, and if you can't code, we also would really appreciate if you could write some documentation. And sometimes it just comes like with the connotation, like writing docs is so much easier than writing the actual code. Whereas I find it's it's actually quite hard to write good documentation because it's in some sense, it's like reading a book. So you have to have a certain narrative. You have to bring the user through. If it's just dry, it, you, they, you will lose them. If there is some strange grammar thing going on or some strange punctuation, uh, people get confused. And so I think there's quite a lot that goes into writing good docs. 
Another thing that you touched upon there, Gerald, is what I thought was really interesting is you have the conceptual things. So there's the Microsoft Docs uh, that I think does a really good job on those. And then there is sometimes these API documentations where you just have for each class and each method, property, event, you'll just have a quick one-liner, what is there? And oftentimes you you see that people do that kind of documentation starting out in the code. So if you're in Visual Studio and you press three times the forward slash above a method, you'll get a mini template that you can fill out, which then can be used for generating docs. And those things uh, and those comments, they can be really useful if you invest some time in them. But uh, I've, I've also seen some, uh, let's just call them slackers, that uh, just you, you see like a parameter A uh, passes in parameter A. Like, thank you. I, I actually <laughs> saw that in the method signature. Well, there there used to be, a, I don't even know if it still does that, but I faintly recall Visual Studio for Mac or, or Xamarin Studio before it kind of took the method name and parsed that into a understandable sentence yeah, uh, when you put that summary <laughs> header on top of a method, um, which, which obviously makes times. you very lazy uh, <laughs> when it comes to writing decent docs. Um, but because yeah, I, I think it also tried to translate things from singular to plural and that kind of stuff, and horribly failed in some instances, of course. But. <laughs> yeah, that that did not make you a better documentation writer, <laughs> as much no. as it uh, it would love to. Um, but yeah, I, I also vaguely remember a, a tool that Microsoft wrote that lets let you generate MSDN type documentation that I used in the past. I think it was Sandcastle or something like that. I don't know if anyone ever used it. I don't know. I think it generated out like this entire HTML tree based on reflection and and kind of like an MSDN type thing. But I think current API documentation is also being generated, right? For most of the things. Well, (laughs) I'm not sure if I should comment on this. Um, So, but... Putting Gerald um, in a pickle. Yeah, sorry. This is, this is interesting. <laughs> no, but this is this is an interesting point, right? Like, where do you keep the documentation? That's another thing. Like, also for again for the Microsoft products, I think it's pretty obvious because uh, you know everything is on docs at Microsoft.com or everything is on docs at Microsoft.com slash APR or something. I don't know. Um, it's it's somewhere there, um, and and of course you have the IntelliSense, right? So if you go down to that little um, API. Um, descriptive kind of thing, then IntelliSense helps too. I think the the, the thing mark that you mentioned, um, if you uh, put the, the the three forward slashes on top of it, you put in a, a very useful summary and parameter description, mm-hmm. um, and you export that XML and put it into your NuGet package, then it will automatically show up in the IntelliSense. So that is really cool, uh, and that is where you want to have it, right? That's where you need it. Uh, but you know, it, it it doesn't that that already kind of assumes that you know the API a little bit. Uh, of course, the IntelliSense helps you there too with typing a dot. But you know, if you don't import the right using statement, then still it's not very discoverable. So I could see that the conceptual docs might still help. But then, where do you put that? Like in your more corporate internal environment, right? Are you going to put it on SharePoint, or are you going to put it on some kind of wiki or? Confluence, God forbid, or uh, I don't know, some 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 kind of those systems. Um, so yeah, and then you know people start looking for maybe other solutions. So you have half of the documentation there, and the other part is there. So that's always um, also a very 
fun game. Bunch of uh, one notes. Yeah, yeah, bunch of one notes, maybe that, just some plain text files, markdown, do whatever. Uh, but yeah, the, the so like the thing uh, that you you ended on, uh, Stephen, with like you would think that it was generated from the APIs. I can tell you that it's not always the case. That's all I will say about it. Uh, but for that same Xamarin Community Toolkit, that's the exact thing that we do. We um, uh, put in the well, at least for the API docs, right? So we put in the the remarks and the stuff. Uh, then we you can you can put a check on your Visual Studio project to export that XML to an XML. That makes total sense. <laughs> um, and then you can, you know, there, there's different tools to actually transform that into something else. Uh, the one that we are using is, I think, comes from Xamarin or Mono or that side of the world. Uh, it's called MDoc, which is, I'll say, it takes a little getting used to um, getting started with it. But after that, um, you know, it can do some cool things. And that basically generates it into all kinds of um, smaller XML files with references to each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, I don't know, that's kind of black box for me. Um, it, it, it gets generated into uh, the nice docs pages. So I just commit it to a repository, then some magic happens, and then those nice looking pages come out. So that is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Sandcastle, I don't know. The, the name rings a bell. It probably, you know, oh, it's if the old. name is different, it mm. probably does something similar. Um, and I'm, I'm convinced there are more tools that do that, but yeah. um, yeah. I think it's dead and buried, like probably something from yesteryear. So yeah, then the, the question that I always ask myself uh, when building something and, and putting some in-code documentation, which is also obviously a thing, we have the write entire Word files or SharePoint wikis or whatever full of documentation, but we also have the in-code documentation. How many or how much documentation is enough that that's the question <laughs> i always ask myself like mm -hmm. i feel like if i haven't at least put a comment somewhere in say 10 lines i'm doing a bad job but on the other hand if it's 10 really simple lines why even bother you know it's, it's a tricky tricky slope i guess to be on well that's a good question i think in general whenever i write comments and just to be honest here i should write more comments in my code i'm one of the guys that says my code is the comments and yeah i as i'm saying this i know that it's not entirely true but i think it's i think it says something that in these days you can write long method names you can write long variable names which means earlier you couldn't do that earlier you were limited in the amount of letters that you could use so I think we can express our codes to be more readable. But at the same time, I think there are some places where comments definitely make sense. But whenever you write a comment, just always have it in the back of your head that you also have to maintain the comments. Because I think the only thing that is worse than no comments is invalid comments. And I'll just <laughs> hide behind that statement for a time to come. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those and they're they hurt like something being said about something being horrible and that line has been refactored out long ago and then you wonder what would be the horrible thing <laughs> well but that's interesting too right that's like the other side like you know all the people who are asking for the documentation there's also a whole group of people with the documentation there and they just don't read it 
I mean, that happens too. Um, so, you know, that's that's also interesting. And that's the same thing I see is happening with comments too whenever I'm maybe pair programming with someone and um, you're scrolling over and they're like, oh, what does this do? What does this do? Oh, why is this done this way? And there's a comment right there. Maybe we should try reading it. Yeah, RTFM writes, read the fantastic manual. Exactly, exactly. What else would it mean? Uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the interesting thing to write. And I notice it myself that, you know, if you're, uh, I think it's maybe easier when you're pair programming to notice those kinds of things because if you're really in, in the code, then uh, maybe the way that the comments are uh, highlighted, uh, you know, you just automatically skip over it uh, whenever you're really focused or something, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of the other interesting thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting question with like, what is enough comments because uh, or comments or or documentation uh but then i think of comments um immediately because you know something that is very obvious to you because you obviously are writing it at that time so you know what is there then how should you know that others maybe do not comprehend what's going on here uh so then you can write you know three pages of why you did this um, or just one line, and but yeah, it's it's very hard to determine probably what is enough, um, yeah. And then you have the people like Mark who say your code should just be understandable. We don't need comments. Just make descriptive methods of one hundred and twenty-eight characters. Yes, yeah, see, really? I mean, it, it even fits in a tweet. I don't know what you're going on <laughs> here about Gerald. <laughs> no, I mean, I know. I think I think generally there are some cases where comments absolutely make sense. Uh, I think like if you got an interface definition in general or an API that people can invoke from external, uh, giving some meaning behind the API, what you pass in, what you can expect, uh, what are the error conditions that can happen, uh, which are always nice. I mean, sometimes if you read through the docs uh, on like a file handling uh, API in the .NET space, you can see, hey, if this and this condition is mapped matched, then we will throw an exception, and it will be this exception, and that can be helpful to then implement the right exception handling. And if the comment was not there, it would be like guessing, like, okay, uh, I'll just catch all exceptions and then just do I don't know what. Uh, yeah, and I think their documentation really helps. Another one is regular expressions. Uh, I know one guy who who can read them as if they were, I don't know, normal English text. I'm not that one person. So I, I always ask him to put up comments above or on the side to tell me what he's actually just doing Please there. Please tell me what every character in this thing is doing. <laughs> well, I, I, I usually, when I do regular expressions, I think it's also the Microsoft Docs site, you find a PDF where they explain to you like what the eager and lazy... I don't, yeah, we could make mm. a total show on regular expressions in regular expressions, describing regular expressions in the comments above and below and on the right. Let's let's do that right before my bedtime, so I can <laughs> dream of regular expressions. Yeah, but I think I think generally speaking, I mean, we have now said uh, if you write a a project, uh, documentations can be really great for people getting to know the stuff uh, and also how to come on the code. But I often write uh, projects that are company projects, so they never really see any external uh, views, so they're not hosted on GitHub, they are not on a NuGet package to consume. And even there, I think documentation can be really helpful. And I always try to describe it to people, like think about giving someone an introduction to your projects. Like every time a new developer comes onto your team, 
you walk up to the whiteboard and you say, okay, listen, this is how it works. And those 30 minutes or 45 minutes that you would have to invest to onboard someone would be what you would write into a documentation about a software project. So like you start off with the big map, like, hey, this is the project, the system, and these are the neighbors around, and this is how we interact with the neighbors. And then you and then you drill down from there on. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, most of these wiki type systems, um, for example, the, the Azure DevOps one, which I've recently been using a bit, um like you can make all these hierarchies and and file things in a certain way and it makes sense to to start with a very broad introduction and then let people drill down on that so in 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 that spirit the the other type of documentation that we have is a manual of using the system so that is that is a whole different beast altogether i suppose because you're building a system based on specs that someone gave you and then you're writing docs explaining those specs again in a different form i suppose so it, are we the type of person to write manuals let's let's pose the question that way i think we have to rephrase it i mean well mark sometimes has to do it but i would say is mark really the ideal person to do them because i mean we already said it before writing a good manual is a, a tough job. I mean, uh, it doesn't make it easier that the developer isn't writing them. I mean, usually as a, if you write the manual and you're not the person that implemented the system, you have to understand what the person was thinking while implementing it. And if so, so it's usually, I think, the easiest to for the developer if he could do the job. But again, writing a good manual requires quite some skill in, in writing and, and storytelling and all that what comes with good writing. And uh, yeah, so I think the, the question is, we can do the job, but maybe what, what should we look out for when writing a manual? Well, I'm more on Mark's side here with, I'm not going to write a manual. Um, because <laughs> it, it, there I feel like, you know, the UI and, and I mean, it doesn't always work that way. I totally get that. But especially like in the app world, a thing that you see is like you have these tooltips the, or these overlays or these these kind of carousel views to explain you the new features or the features that are in there. So, you know, I feel that your app has to be like intuitive enough to be self-explanatory um, or at least, you know, give you some quick tutorial on where to do some things if you do some very fancy things that are not um, in the user's second nature. Um, and for the rest, I think, you know, it, it, it very much depends on what your target audience is. Um, like, you know, if I think back at uh, the company, Stephen, where we work together and just have to build this WPF WinForms client kind of thing um, where they click through to get to some manuals or compose some, I don't know, standards and things. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, that's also, you know, something very specific. Um, but it, it's kind of funny then, right? Because the customer was asking us to build a certain thing. So then we go out and build the thing and then they're asking like, but how does it work? Aren't you supposed to know? Um, so that's kind of always a bit funny, right? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't, and that's also where you come into uh, up to a point where the developer then can do all the things, right? 
because they're going to ask you to write the technical documentation, the API documentation, the manual for the customer. Maybe you can do the specs too. Oh, and you're the scrum master now. So um, have fun estimating all those story points. So, you know, at what point is it enough? And at what point is your unicorn developer not going to do, be able to do all the things? Um, <laughs> Does, but, is, that, is that part of the full stack developer description? Yes. You have yes, to do yeah. all the things? Yeah. Hmm. It's a full stack after all. It's a full stack, yeah. I mean, Full stack of cars. It doesn't specify how high that stack goes. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, I think I think you're touching on a point there, but I think there's also the reason. I mean, because you put developers into, you force the developers into the position of writing documentations. That uh, you see some tooling evolve around it to make it easier for us. I mean, we we touched on it before. Uh, some people uh, they take the method name, they split up the words, they do some magic on making it plural sounding uh, and all the all the magic there but i mean the open api or swagger as it was called before i mean that's something where you can say hey i got my beautiful website and my beautiful web api and it does the best thing in the world but now i have to write documentation but no you don't have to you can just sprinkle some open api goodness over it and it will generate a beautiful uh api specification where you can uh, open and close uh, the method calls. You see sample JSON that will be returns from that call. You can sometimes even test it right there in the browser how that would look like and, and all the all the goodness like that. And I mean, I think that's why sometimes you just have to force the developer to write documentation because then some goodness like this will come out. To go that one little extra mile. Yeah. towards happiness, I suppose. I've done this so many times. I'll now write a quick script that does this for me. Yeah, the, the swagger definition stuff is, that's fun. I mean, I've recently had some experience with that. They weren't always up to date, but I mean, there was at least something. So wrapping this thing up, people listening who haven't ever documented anything in their life where should they get started? What what should they at least document, in your opinion? But I'll try. I'll try to go first. Um, so in my opinion, it, I think documentation should give you a high level overview. If you're documenting a project, uh, it should give you a high level overview of stuff that is not already written in the code. So as I said, whenever you walk up to a whiteboard and you draw the diagram for the third time, you might think about plucking out some. UML tool, some draw IO, and just uh, making it once and then digitalizing it and putting it into your documentation of choice. And that will then save you time because I think that what it boils down to documentation about projects should generally save time and not be a hassle or be a additional burden that you also have to carry. I mean, sure, you have to invest the time, but I think that in my mind is what makes a good documentation is that you actually save time in the long run. That's actually one thing that I I didn't really mention throughout this, but the one thing that I document like um, for myself, you know, stuff that you maybe do not do on a daily basis, or you keep forgetting how to do it, and you look it up each time. So just write it down. Um, I did some of that stuff also again for the the the, the Xamarin Community Toolkit in the wiki. Just start typing a little bit about also how the release process works, so that you know if if for some reason. I maybe fall off the face of the earth 
um, that other people will also know what's going on without, you know, having to trying to retrace my steps, what I'm was trying to do or smoking or thinking or doing right there. Uh, but, you know, and there's a couple of things like I use some pipelines from Microsoft to actually sign the NuGets and build the things. So, it, you know, I just type those things down the first thing I encountered so I could um, also refresh my own memory next time. Um, so I think that is, you know, that that might be priority one so that you have your own documentation and you know what's going on or your team. Um, and then from there, yeah, sure. It, it also depends on what you're writing documentation for. Like, again, if you are putting an open source library, well, even if it's not open source, but if you're putting a library out there for potentially hundreds or thousands or millions of users, then, you know, you need a little bit of more documentation probably than that customer with, you know, 10 users um, who, who already know what this stuff is sort of about. Um, but yeah, and, and from there, you know, depending on the resources you have, like if it's just you or you have a team of writers, that's going to be different as well. But I would say, you know, at least get that getting started documentation, like um, here is how you install it. Here is how to do the first thing. Um, and from there, you know, what I try to do also with like the videos and the stuff that I write is to at least um, point out like, hey, here you can find other resources or here is how you can explore this and give people some, some, some reach them, give them some um, um, stuff to, to work with um, for themselves without really need to spell it out um, all yourself. So yeah, that's kind of my recommendation. And I think that wraps up this episode on documentation quite nicely. We've been your hosts, Stephen Davison, Mark Alibon, and Charles Flesh. If you have any great tools that you use to write your documentation or maybe even generate it from scratch, let us know. We are on Twitter at NullPointers.io. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Stay safe and until next week on NullPointers. Pointers.